if you need a Bible, raise your hand. There's very few of us here, which is going to be awesome. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to open it up to Q&A afterwards. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say this a lot. I don't know. That's pretty much how I'm going to answer most of those questions that you're going to be asking. But we're going to give a prophecy update here tonight. Okay? And I, I just kind of look at it. I know we're a small group and everything else because of the weather. This is going to be fun. This is just going to be fun. Okay? And I'm here to tell you, I don't, I don't know everything about what's going to happen in the future. Um, I like to look at all sorts of things that might be going on. And, uh, and I don't usually fit in with what everybody is saying. Okay? And that's not me saying that they're wrong and I'm right. I just know that when... When it comes to prophecy of what has happened over the last 40 years, things have changed dramatically of what we were saying 40 years ago, and then 30 years ago, and 10 years ago, and even five years ago, okay? And so, um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, Jaden, I'm calling an audible, okay? So the very last slide that has the Bible timeline, I want you to throw that one up right now. Okay, look at that. Jaden's on it. Good job, buddy. Okay, so um, here are some things I think is a possibility. Okay, a possibility. All right? And then we're going to go through some of this. So I want us to understand something. At the rapture, okay, um, here, and you have all these verses here, the judgment seat of Christ takes place while we're up there. It's all wonderful. Um, at, between the rapture and when the treaty is signed with the Antichrist, we don't know how long that time is going to be. It's an unspecified uh, amount of time, okay? I personally think that Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens at this point, okay? Uh, it could happen here. It could happen during the church age. Um, but I believe that Psalm 83 is something that we're going to be able to see. And then again, maybe not. How's that for waffling? How, how You want to stand on that, do you? Okay, so what's that? Unlike the weatherman, exactly. So Psalm 83 could be here as well, and that's kind of what we're going to go over here tonight that you can see this. A lot of you might not know Psalm 83, okay? And so uh, I think that we're on the cusp right now of seeing this happen. I think that's what we're about to see there in Israel. If not, it's a precursor. I love this. Uh, you know, this, this, is, this is an exciting time and everything else. We have people eating popcorn over here. It's just like a movie going on, you know, action-packed. It's fantastic. I really like this. And so Mike, Michael and I kind of worked on this. Um, we took this uh, uh, biblical timeline that we really liked. We added some things in there so you can kind of see, uh, you, you know, like after the Great Tribulation, there's a 75-day gap there before the millennial reign begins. So a lot of people don't, don't know that. Uh, Satan is bound for those thousand years. And so, uh, again, we, we try to get this as kind of flowing and as accurate as, as we think that we can. But this is the area right here, which I, I think is, is pretty amazing. Because we need to understand something. The rapture of the church is not when the seven-year tribulation begins. Okay? That doesn't begin until Daniel 9.27, when the Antichrist comes and confirms an agreement for one week, which is seven years. Okay, so we have no idea how long this is. One of the reasons why I don't think that that I think Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine uh, happened before the great tribulation. A lot of people put that in the great tribulation is because when that's over with, there's a burning of weapons that take place for about seven years. That they can uh, that Israel goes out and grabs that and they use it for energy and things like that. And because it's in, this, in the three-and-a-half-year period right here where Jesus says, look, when you see the abomination of desolation, you need to flee. You need to get out of Dodge, okay? So they can't be collecting for seven years throughout the, tri the tribulation, and they're not certainly not going to be doing it at the end of the tribulation going into the millennial reign, okay? So my thought is that it happens sometimes here, and then it goes into three-and-a-half years, which tells me that bumps out three-and-a-half years which tells me that this gap in between could be as long as three and a half years. It might be that we see that also in the church age, and then after that, the church gets zapped up or whatever, and it continues to go in into those first three and a half years, which are actually pretty good years for the Jews, okay, in those first three and a half years. So 
Again, this is one of the reasons why I don't necessarily think that Ezekiel 38 and 39 fits anywhere here in the Great Tribulation. But it has to happen. It has to happen. So let's go back, and we're going to start from the beginning here. And uh, two weeks ago on the attack on Israel by Hamas from Gaza, it definitely took Israel by surprise, and the, the, the uh, Hamas was strategically barbaric. The, the, the name means violence. Hamas means violence. And so the atrocities committed by Hamas and the slaughter of 1,400 Israel, Israelis, the beheading of babies, the kidnapping of young and old, parading their women captives naked before the people, raping the women captives, I want to emphatically go on record and say this is not going to end up well for Hamas. God is always on the side of Israel. Always. And so Hamas will not win this war. Scripture makes this very clear. Um, once Israel came back to the land in May 14, 1948, every war since this time has ended it with Israel getting more territory. And I think that's going to happen with Hamas as well. Um, and so I think this is kind of the beginning of Psalm 83, or it's a precursor to it. Okay, that if they don't go in and wipe out Hamas and Hamas is still able to just kind of surrender, keep some of their missiles or whatever it is, and they don't go all the way and totally destroy Hamas, then this area of Gaza is going to come back again and at attack Israel at a later date, which could be at that point Psalm 83. Um, I want us to know that, uh, that when it comes to whenever the rapture takes place, I want you to go over here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to see something here. We have an outline here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to all be able to see this outline. Okay, God's word makes it very, very clear, starting in verse 9, when Paul and Silas start talking about how uh, where the Thessalonian believers came from. It says here in verse 9, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us, meaning Paul and Silas, what manner of entry we had to you, and how you, meaning the Thessalonian believers, okay, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God, living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here we have past, present, and future. The past, you turn from idols. Okay, and we all did, by the way. You turn from your idol of this world, whether it's in uh, going after the goods of this world or whatever, that's an idol. Anything you have before God is an idol. And you turn from your idols and to do what you're doing now, serve the living and true God. And here's the future. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. But what do we do with that? We wait for a son from heaven. Who's going to do what? Deliver us from the wrath to come. So we are waiting for the Lord to come back to deliver us from the wrath that's going to be poured on this world, which I believe is a seven-year tribulation period. But we just don't go out in the mountains and just wait, okay? Yes, you've been forgiven. You used to serve the, the, the idols here in this world. And now, as you wait for Jesus to come for you, to deliver you from the wrath to come, what do you do? You serve the living and true God. This is what you do. This is what you do. Those who want to say, Dave, the, the rapture and the second coming, they're one and the same. You're wrong. You're absolutely 100% across the board wrong. Okay? This is what Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18 here. This slide coming up, that's not it. It's the next one. There you go. So this one right here, this is the rapture of the church. This is the second coming right here. Jesus appears in the heavens. He doesn't do that. At the second coming, he comes to the earth. Jesus comes for his church in the rapture. Here, Jesus returns with his church. He's not coming for us. We're with him, it tells us. Jesus is a deliverer. Here, he is a warrior. Jesus appears in grace. Here, he returns in wrath to destroy the armies of the world. Jesus appears as the bridegroom. Here, he returns as the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Big difference. It's not the same. And if you want to try and prove that it's the same, you're, you're going against what the word of God says. Now, if you want to talk about if it's pre-wrath or mid-trib or whatever, okay, that's a different thing altogether. But I do believe that we can all agree on this, that whatever we believe of how the end times are going to unfold, we do 
know and understand until they unfold, we need to serve the living and true God. There's something we need to do now. And are we doing that? Or are we just looking in the clouds and we're just looking at, at the news and, and this possibly might happen? This, But what are you doing right now to occupy time? And hopefully you're serving uh, uh, the living and true God. Now, no one should be so prophecy-oriented that it, it, it hinders them from doing that, serving the living and true God, using their gifts in the church, being a light and a witness to others, all those kind of things. To speculate about what's coming up or, or keep a lookout for that is always fun. It's always exciting and, and things like that. But I believe the rapture is imminent. It can come at any time. It can come before Psalm 83. It can come after. It could come before Ezekiel 38. It could come after. It could, you know, it could come at any time. There's not anything left that has to happen in order for the rapture to take place. It could come. Jesus can come for his church at any time. At any time. Now, and I believe it's close. I personally believe it's close. And uh, I, I just, what we're seeing now is, is very interesting to say the least. Now I want you to go to Psalm 83. How many people here are familiar with Psalm 83? It says, all right. Then we'll direct the questions to you afterwards. Was eating something that got sticky there. There we go. I think that was my yogurt earlier. There we go. Open that up. Um, so it begins here with a song, a psalm of Asaph. Now, who is Asaph? Well, there's a picture of him right there. He was a prophet. He wrote 12 psalms, Psalm 50 and then 73 through 83. Okay. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 25.2, says, Of the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Asherah, the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. So if Asaph prophesied, that tells us what? He's also a prophet. Okay. In 2 Chronicles 29.30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praise and gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. The word seer in the Hebrew is, is kozen, koze, and it means beholder of a vision. In 2 Samuel 24, 11, now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer. So, Again, we're told in Scripture that a prophet and a seer, one and the same. The word seer there means a beholder of the vision. We were able to see that Asaph is a seer in 2 Chronicles 29.30. We see he also prophesied in 1 Chronicles 25.2. So I think we're pretty clear there that Asaph was a seer, a prophet. So it is possible that one of his psalms might be prophetic. And I think Psalm 83 is. Now, this psalm is also about God's reputation, okay, and who he is. In verse 1, it says, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. Why? Verse 2, for behold, your enemies. Look how many times it says your, you, your, your. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. Well, I think what we're about to go over has everything to do with the God of this world that really challenges the God of the Hebrews. And that's Allah. It's the Muslim God. And so it says here in Psalm 
83 verse 6, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Now, nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in Israel's history do we ever see this confederation of nations come together against Israel. Now, some will say 1948, the first Arab-Israeli war, then they'll say 1967, then they'll be able to say, and we'll be able to show why that's not true. Okay, we'll be able to show why that's not true. Asaph here sees a future war, and he sees all these different nations. And so we're going to kind of look and, 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 and kind of identify it here. But these are, this is the inner circle of Psalm 83. These nations are not mentioned in Ezekiel 38. All the neighboring countries that surround little itty-bitty Israel right here, guess what? None of these nations are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. My understanding is, is because God takes care of all these guys right here once and for all, it's over with, that that's why all the other nations can then just kind of come in to Israel because there's none of these other nations that are in the way. And I think Israel probably takes some of this territory as well. Okay? They're going to gain a lot more territory here. All right? And so you have... Um, it says here the tents of Edom and Ishmaelites. It speaks to those wandering tribes and those Bedouin tribes that come from Ishmael, that came from Edom. Um, they ended up settling. So, you know, after Israel ceased to be a nation and they were kicked out from being a nation, as a matter of fact, leave this up here. But um, just let me tell you this real quick, that the reason why uh, this is called Palestine, and while why, why they are called Palestinians, you have to kind of understand the history a little bit. And the history is, is that in AD 135, there was the Bar uh, Kokhba revolt, a Jewish uprising against Rome. It lasted for about four years. They actually did pretty good for about three years. You know, they 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 did a lot of damage. They took a lot of territory. They even minted their own coins and things like that. They were actually doing pretty good. And then. They were defeated, and the Roman emperor Hadrian, so upset with the Jews and, and the problems that they have called, expelled the Jews from Jerusalem and decreed that the city and the surrounding territory be called a larger entity called Syria-Palestina. Palestina took its name from the coastal territory of the ancient Philistines, which was always the ancient enemy of the Jews, and so to further their humiliation, this land that you love so much called Israel is now going to be named after your greatest enemy, the Philistines, hence to be called Palestine. And so for 1850 plus years until May 14th, 1948, the Arabs that were living in Palestine, although different ethnic groups um, uh, called themselves at that point because they were living in Palestine, Palestinians, even though there's no such thing as an ethnic Palestinian, okay? They are Arabs that settled in Palestine. Arabs that come from Eden or the Ishmaelites or those Bedouin tribes that come from those nations. So because of that, when we see the tents of Edom and Ishmaelites, it's actually pretty interesting because when you look at um, uh, when, when the Arab nations went to attack Israel, they told all the other Arabs that had settled in the area to leave. And then when we wipe them out, guess what? Then you can come back and get your land. But they didn't wipe them out. And so what does it show? It shows all these refugee camps in Syria and in Jordan and all these places. And you can get pictures in 1949, 1950, 1952. What are they living in? Tents. Hence, tents of Edom, you know, and Ishmaelites. It's like, yes, you're wandering tribes, you're Bedouins, but now you are literally in tents, okay, there as refugees. And so... When you, when you look at that and you said that you're the one that promised them that you're going to wipe the Jews out, that didn't happen. Uh, after 1948, when they, when they declared themselves a nation for the next, it, it didn't even take a year. In less than a year, Egypt, they signed a, a, a Egypt, let's see, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, all of them came against Israel the moment they declared themselves a nation. So they were fi fighting five nations there, not to mention the Arab uh, Legion army and, and others that were 
inside Palestine itself. And so, but within a year, they signed peace agreements with all of them, you know, and, uh, and, and that was, it is an incredible thing in history to go back and look at, okay? So, but here, we look at the tents of Edom, um, could be the Ishmaelites and Edom also settling in there, being the Palestinians. Um, Edom speaks of southern Jordan. Ishmaelites speak of the southwest Saudi Arabia area. Moab is central Jordan. Hagrites, or the Hagarines, come from Hagar, the Egyptians. So this speaks of Egypt. Gebel is a coastal town near Tyre in Lebanon. So that's up there. Ammon, northeast Jordan. Amalek, Sinai, up to heaven, most likely, again, Palestinians in the West Bank. that They came and they ended up settling there in those you know, during those years as well. Now remember that um, that Asaph is seeing people in the future in areas that he knows them as this is the people group during his time, okay? And so he sees these people group, and we're trying to figure out who are they today. That's probably who they are. Most likely, again, Palestinians in the West Bank. Philistia is uh, Gaza. Tyre is Lebanon. Assyria is Syria today. You know, some of them are pretty easy to find, you know, um, but the Hagarites and Hagarines comes from Hagar, and, the, and she was an Egyptian. So this probably speaks of Egypt there. Um, and so we know where Moab is, uh, the Ishmaelites and Edom. We know that area that they were in and, uh, and that they were Bedouins. And, and so they would go around, and, uh, and, and so it probably speaks of them also settling in Palestine during those, uh, those many years. So that's what we're kind of looking at today when we're looking at it. Now, this is the inner circle. Can you, Jaden, can you go back to the previous one? So this is, again, the inner circle. These are all the, the, the tribes and, and people groups that are not only bordering there inside of, outside of Israel, but also inside. Because remember, the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, they're inside Israel as well. Okay, they're inside Israel as well. So they're all, all these people are going to, people group are going to come against Israel. We have never seen that in the history of Israel. And so we know this is future. It's got to be future. I believe it's future. So um, so we have to ask ourselves, when has Psalm 83 been fulfilled? Was it during the first Arab-Israeli war? Was it in 1948? Was it during the Six-Day War in 1967? Was it in the Yom Kippur War of 1973? It seems a lot of these nations in Psalm 83 is part of this prophecy. Okay, but look what the prophecy says next. Look what Psalm 83 says next in verse 9. It says, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor who became as refuge on the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna. Now, why would Asaph in his vision have this to say as well? Why does he use this specific examples? For when this happens, Lord, when this vision you gave me happens, may the end result be like this illustration here in Israel's history. And why would Asaph put that down? Is God going to say, yeah, that's great that you want that, but no. Then why have it in there? I would submit to you this is here so you will know when Psalm 83 actually happens. Because in Psalm, uh, because with Midian, that is with Gideon, okay, Gideon is raised up to handle the Midianites that keep coming in and harassing Israel year after year, you know, coming in and, and, and taking their uh, produce and cattle and sheep and things like that. And they all gather and they would come in and they war against them and, and steal all their stuff. And so God raises Gideon up to do what? To finally take care of the Midianites that have been harassing them for years. And then we read this in Judges eight twenty eight. Check this out. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. After Judges chapter 8, you never see the Midianites attack Israel ever again. There's no other event where Israel fights the Midianites. It's over with. It's done. 
I would submit to you when it comes to Psalm 83, once that happens, they're never going to be harassed by those tribes or nations again. But in 1948, they're attacked. In 1967, by the same group attack. In 1973, it's by the same group. They're still being harassed today by the same group. That's not falling in line with this. That's not falling in line with this. And then it goes on and says, as with Sisera and with Jabin at the brook Kishon. Well, guess what? Judges 4.24. And we see here, the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, and they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Never do you hear of the king of Canaan ever again harassing Israel. Never again. And so when it says here, uh, 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 who perished at Endor, um, when, when it talks about Sisera, Sisera is the commander uh, of, uh, of the king of Jabin, okay, of the, of the king of Canaan. And so, and if you remember, Sisera is the one that ran and escaped to Jael's tent. And so he wanted some milk, got some milk and laid down. He was tired and she put a tent peg through his, through his uh, temple. Okay. So Barak couldn't get to the glory because Barak wouldn't go out without Deborah. Okay. So again, this is how Sisera died once and for all, never to harass Israel again. You, you, you have um, the nobles, Oreb and Zeb. These are the princes uh, you have um, the, the king Ziba and Zalmunna, okay? And they were all killed, never once to ever come back and harass Israel ever again. And so both accounts show that once these battles were over with, these nations never again bothered Israel. So this war we see in Psalm 83 has to be a war where those nations are defeated and can never come back and harass Israel again. That is why we continue to read in Psalm 83, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for possession. We're going to see that the countries that are surrounding him right now have been saying this forever. With Yasser Arafat and all these guys have always been saying, let's wipe them off the map. You know, let's take that land for us. You know, they, they, they're saying this right now. Who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. Blow them away like dust. Like chaff before the wind, which does not return. As a fire burns the woods and the flame sets the mountains on fire, this again is, so they cannot harm us again type language. Woods, when they burn, become ash and are blown away. So pursue them with a tempest. Frighten them with your storm. May this ever be so horrifying for them that they will never want to attack us again. And so they give us the examples of Midian and Jabin, the king of Canaan, and that's exactly what happened in the past. So this future war, the same thing, this is how we're going to know. This is how we're going to know. Is that when they come, they're going to be so decimated, they're never going to be able to do this again. Never be able to do this again. And we have not seen that in their history, as we can see with everybody that's lined up against them that have been tacking them time and time and time and time again over the last, you know, 75 years. And so fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. The inference here is that the Midianites and Jabin, the king of Canaan, all wondered about the God of the Hebrews after they lost those wars. He's the most high over all the earth. And it will be the same thing when God does what he does here through uh, Israel, they're going to wonder the same thing. They're going to wonder, who is this God of the Hebrews that we can never, ever seem to be able to get victory over? So I want to look at it, what it looks like today. Let's look and see what we, we got going here today. Look at this. So you got Lebanon up here. You got Syria up here. You have Jordan. You have Saudi Arabia. You have Egypt. You have Hamas right here, fighting force. You have Palestinians all through Israel um, that, that are willing to take up arms. You have Hezbollah. They're not just here in Lebanon. They're over here in Syria as well. They're proxies for Iran, okay? So Palestinians are Amalek, the tents of Edom, and the Ishmaelites. Hamas is Gaza. Hezbollah, Tyre, Gebel, Assyria, which is in Syria. Jordan is Moab and Ammon, and Egypt is the Hagarenes or the Hagrites. So all those nations that are mentioned there is surrounding Israel right now. And these are in green because these are the ones that right now can fight. And so Hamas is the one that's doing the fighting right now. Um, again, as 
they, they are probably the experts in the whole world when it comes to social media, okay? They have been on the forefront of trying to win the war about on propaganda, okay? And so they, that's, they, they hide behind women and children. They hide the, 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 um, the major arsenal and where tunnels begin and go throughout all of Gaza is, is underneath the, one of the chief hospitals that they have there in Gaza, okay? And, uh, and because they know that Israel isn't going to hit, do a direct hit on, on a hospital. Now, they said they did, but it ended up being an errant missile from them, and it blew out a parking garage. It didn't actually hit the hospital. But they claimed it was 500 people died and this and that, and then you had the, um, then you had the squad in D.C. saying, oh, how horrible, and you shouldn't do that, and all this kind of stuff, only to find out later it was Hamas who did that. Um, and so, uh, so again, they're, they're amazing when it comes to propaganda wars, okay? Uh, and so Hezbollah is, is ready. They're ready. So Hamas has 50,000 rockets. Hezbollah in both those, those locations have over 150,000 rockets, okay? Now, we're off the coast right now, and we're saying, do you guys get involved? And, and, and now we're going to go toe-to-toe with Iran. Iran's going, well, what do we have to do with it? Well, because you're the one that's funding them. You know, and just so you know, if this starts happening, if anybody else gets involved in the war, we've already said that we're going to get involved with the war. Okay, now we also have a president that might not, you know, be a man of his word. I don't know. Or might be a guy who doesn't even remember his word. But uh, so I don't, I don't know how that's all going to play out. But we got quite a few ships out here. And I remember reading about it the other day, it, it's a pretty big arsenal. Two carrier groups, yes. And so um, it's, it's pretty uh, intimidating. And I think that's kind of what's getting as well, just going piff, piff, piff every so often, you know, and not do, unloading their arsenal because we are we're going to unload on them. We will unload on them. Now, Saudi Arabia is, is a wild card here. Uh, I don't necessarily see them as, as coming against. I see... That because um, uh, because uh, the Ishmaelites and Edom are kind of in there, Saudi Arabia, but the, the Bedouins back in the day have already infiltrated and are in Palestine. I, I don't honestly see Saudi Arabia coming against Israel right now. They've shot down a couple of rockets that Yemen has has fired over, okay, by the Houthis, and so which is also being financed by Iran, okay, by Iran as well. So an uprising in Palestine, in Israel, yes, by the Palestinians, absolutely. Uh, Hamas is the one that's, that's at war right now. Hezbollah is waiting, waiting, waiting. I, I don't think that they are going to see a better time to actually attack Israel. I actually expect that to happen any day now. Um, you know, uh, so, and again, they might not. You know, this could just be a precursor. Something else might happen there. But we're showed that uh, Felicia here, Hamas is Gaza, you know. So Felicia is Hamas, is, is the Gaza area. So something in Psalm 83, you have people from this area attacking Israel, okay? You have attacking Israel. So um, Egypt and Jordan, those, those treaties are very precarious at best. Um, one would say uh, a few years ago, rock solid, they, they have a tendency to kind of wane when they start to see uh, uh, Palestinians getting killed and things like that, and, and, their, and their hearts kind of change, and so they want to know who else is willing to go in, because if they had their desire, yeah, Israel wouldn't be there, okay? But Israel's been so strong and so scary that they, Egypt has had to have a, a treaty with them. Okay, that and the fact that the United States gives Israel, I think, $5 billion and Egypt $5 billion every year to maintain that treaty. So if it wasn't for the money, Egypt would have no reason to keep that treaty at all. Okay, so, uh, so this, this is kind of what we're looking at right now as we talk, and this is the major player right here that, that is attacking Israel. Um, so... So again, looking at the future, look at the words that are being said in Psalm 83, 4. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel might be remembered no more. This is what people have been saying ever since Israel 
has become a nation here. Um, they shall never stop until we go back home. So this is Yasser Arafat, what he has to say. We'll never stop until we can go back home and Israel is destroyed. The goal of our struggle is the end of Israel. There could be no compromises or mediations. The goal of this violence is the elimination of Zionism from Palestine in all its political, economic, and military aspects. We don't want peace. We want victory. Peace for us means Israel's destruction and nothing else. Yasser Arafat in, in March 1970. And they've been echoing that ever since. Well, there's got to be a two-say solution. Well, there can't be because one of the groups doesn't only wants the annihilation of the other group. And so you can't talk with them, not to mention the fact that God's word makes it very clear, do not divide my land. You know, it says that in Joel, it says that in Amos, and so bad things happen when you try and divide up God's land. We also have here that um, this International Middle East Media Center put this out in 2009, Hamas will never recognize a Zionist entity and will remain steadfast, protecting the blood of the martyrs. The resistance will prevail until liberating the land, until liberating Jerusalem. And then you have the FARS news agency that says this, we Palestinians will never overlook even one span of Palestine's soil because Palestine is, endow- is an endowed land and no person, leader, organization, or group is entitled to the right to ignore this land. Israel has no future in Palestinian lands and our motto is that we will never recognize a Zionist regime. How can you, how can you have peace with someone that isn't even going to recognize your presence. You can't. And then we have this, there are Jews everywhere. We must attack every Jew on the planet Earth. So now it's not even about just in in Israel. We must slaughter and kill them with Allah's help. We will lacerate and tear them to pieces. Gadstone Institute, 2019. Then Iran says this, the Zionist regime is a deadly cancerous growth, a detriment to this region. It will undoubtedly be uprooted and destroyed. Undoubtedly, the long-lasting virus of Zionism will not last much longer and it will be uprooted thanks to the determination, faith, and pride of youth. They call them a virus because that was the time of the coronavirus, 2020. Aren't they clever? Um... And so all the surrounding nations that border Israel want to wipe them off the face of the earth, not just out of Israel. They want them all dead. Now, I want you to go to Ezekiel 37. Starting here in verse 1, Ezekiel has this vision, and it says, verse 1 of Ezekiel 37, it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me out in the spirit of Yahweh, set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. Here, Ezekiel's vision of the future, he sees this valley full of dry bones. There are many prophecy scholars who believe that this is speaking of the Holocaust. The Jewish people in a horribly grave condition. Ezekiel then asked, can these bones live? In other words, can the Jewish race survive? Holocaust. Can you imagine Ezekiel maybe seeing that? He says, O Lord, you know. Again, he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. As a matter of fact, um, uh, most of your rabbis uh, believe that that was speaking of the Holocaust as well. Okay, so Jewish um, scholars believe that Isaiah... I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37 here was speaking of the Holocaust as they're looking at the dry bones as well. Um, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. 
And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Um, this is where that song comes from, them bones and bones and dry bones. It comes from this right here. Um, Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, the skin covered them over, and there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So to come from the four winds means to come from the four corners of the earth. Okay, and, and, and in 19... 47, uh, 46, 47, you saw a great influx of Jews come into, uh, come into Israel uh, before the war. Uh, after the war, in 1949 through 51, over 700,000 Jews came into Israel. Almost a million Jews came into Israel right after the war there. Um, and so he's bringing them in from the four corners, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. You should have that underlined. Israel believes that's IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. Okay. From this, okay, is going to come this great army. Okay, uh, and then it says here, um, and then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So just in case you're wondering, well, maybe it's not the nation of Israel. It says so right there. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will, bring, I will open your graves, cause you to come up from your graves, from this great holocaust, and bring you into the land of Israel. That happened in 1948. That wasn't that long ago that this prophecy was fulfilled. May 14th, 1948. And not only will these bones live, but the Jewish race will survive. It will return to its homeland and it will come out with a great army. Now, why does it bring up this great army? I, I wonder about the purpose of saying that. And why would the Jewish nation need to rise from refugees to this exceedingly great army? Since we read in Ezekiel 38 that it is God who defeats the great coalition from the north. It's not Israel's army that does that. But it does sound like in Psalm 83 that it is Israel's army that does that because they've been doing it in 1948, they did it in 1967, they did it in 1973, they did it in 82 with Lebanon. They've done it time and time again whenever they've been attacked, infatata, everything else. They've always been able to defend themselves with this amazing army. It's, it's been, uh, in a sense, a tongue-in-cheek joke for over 50 years when you want to talk about the greatest army in the world. Everybody goes, well, that's Israel. Well, that's Israel. Well, that's Israel. I want you to go over here to Ezekiel 38. Look what it says here. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. Gog is, is, is a ruler. It's a name of someone. Gog of the land of Magog. Okay, that's a, that's a land. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal. Prophecy against him, Gog. And thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. That's, that's, that's Russia um, and all their, their, their stands with them, okay? Uh, that would be Kazakhstan, that would be Azerbaijan and Georgia and all the other stand nations that would be uh, kind of with them, okay? At one time used to be under Russia, but now have their own separate states, okay? Uh, but they hate Israel. All the stand nations... Hate Israel. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, and all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, and all them handling swords. Now look at this outer ring here, this northern coalition here. This is the outer ring, okay? You saw the inner ring? These are outer rings. Persia, Magog, Meshach, Rosh, uh, Togoma, Tubal, Gomer, Put, Cush, okay? These aren't the ones that are mentioned in Psalm 83, okay? This is kind of like the outer ring of nations that want to come against Israel. There's an inner circle that we saw before. This is the outer circle. Look at that. 
There's the difference right there. These nations, and now you have these nations right here. Okay? So there's a difference between Ezekiel 38 and Psalm 83. I've seen some people try and put them together. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. uh, Can you back to slide 17 before this one? The one that I list them all. There you go. Thank you very much, Jaden. I appreciate that. The Northern Coalition, Ezekiel 30 is Magog, that's Russia. Rosh, Arash is Kazakhstan. Meshach is either Georgia or Azerbaijan. Uh, Persia is Iran, okay? Ethiopia could be Ethiopia or Northern Sudan, which is also named Kush. Put is Libya. Uh, Gomar, Togomar, and Tubal, they're all Turkey, okay? They're your gobble-gobbles right there. Those guys right there. All right, And so these are the nations that are going to be coming against them in Ezekiel 38. Now, I find this very interesting. It says Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. But the one who's leading the charge is Russia. Yes, Persia is coming alongside, but Persia is not leading the way. And I would submit to you the reason why Iran is not leading the way is because the majority of their force is going to be destroyed with, with their proxies of Hezbollah, okay, as well as the Houthis, as well as Gaza. That's where all their strength lies. It doesn't lie within the nation itself. It lies with those proxy wars going on. And when that is destroyed, they, they, they don't have a whole lot at that point, okay? And so, but if Russia's going to come down, we'll join you because you're the strong major force. Another interesting thing is, as we see the destruction that comes uh, that happens here, it really destroys, it really stops these other nations from continuing to go after Israel because the firepower comes down on Gog. It comes down on Magog. It even comes down on their land. And so it, they're destroyed as they come across the mountains. Well, Put and Cush, and they're, they're not coming across the mountains. They would be coming in from the south. And so, again, it doesn't talk about their utter destruction, but it talks about the head of the snake being totally obliterated. And that's Russia. And then it's interesting in the book of Revelation that you don't hear of any of these nations. None of these nations are coming against Israel. It's the Antichrist who, who is, is housed where? Babylon. Okay, Babylon, which is Iraq, you know. And so these nations that we're looking at, we, we don't even hear about them in the book of Revelation in Armageddon. Why? Because they're already gone. They're toast. They you know, which is why there's a power vacuum at that point, and why the Antichrist would come in. He's such a nice guy. And he comes in as this false man of peace until he gets the power that he needs, and then, boom, one final push to try and annihilate the Jews. And that comes from within. And that's why uh, Jesus himself would say that when you see the abomination of desolation take place, like in Daniel, okay, you're to flee. That's at the halfway point of the tribulation. The Antichrist is already entrenched within. There is no way to fight him per se. He's already in there in Jerusalem. He's already in there in the Middle East. And so, um, so again, just an interesting situation that's going on here. But look what it continues to go down here. It says um, uh, in verse 6, it says, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomar from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. Well, the, far north, the farther north you go, that, that points directly to Russia. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword, that's Israel, and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. I would submit to you that as of today and going backwards, Israel has never dwelt Safely. Now, people have said, well, the word safely means secure. I get that. They have Iron Dome. They have all these things. Um, one could even probably make the argument that that's one of the reasons why Hamas was able to do what they did. Because, again, they thought everything was fine, you know. And, and, and I get that, but that's a small microcosm of what's being said here about the whole nation, okay? You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God that on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind. You will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. 
plural, unwalled. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. That does not describe Israel. It is describing Israel, but that does not describe Israel today, nor in any of their history. As a matter of fact, they have a huge 200-mile wall, soon to become a 400-mile wall when they complete it, and it's called the, um, the West Bank Barrier. It separates the West Bank from the outskirt neighborhoods of Jerusalem. And before they put that in, I think it was in 2005 or something like that, they were, they were averaging over one and a half suicide bombers a week. That was just coming in from the West Bank. And until they put up that wall, that, that, that's what was happening. They, they were having something ridiculous like 300 to 500 cars a day being stolen in Jerusalem and then going back into the West Bank where they couldn't follow them and things like that. So they built this wall, okay? And it kind of goes through like this and it separates Jerusalem and, and, their, and the outskirt neighborhoods and the West Bank. And so they have 200 and I think 10 miles of it up right now and they have another like 200 that they want to build. Um, but they have a wall going through their very center of their country, not to mention uh, all the barriers and, and uh, um, you know, that they have with, uh, uh, and, and the fencing that they have with uh, Jordan and all the different uh, gates and points of entry that they have everywhere along their borders. I mean, they have walls and security fences up everywhere, okay? That does not describe Israel today. So something has to happen, I believe, that would allow for Israel to kind of go, we can take down this wall now in the middle of Jerusalem that separates the West Bank because the Palestinians aren't an issue anymore. Hamas is not an issue anymore. The Jordanians are not an issue anymore. Syria is not an issue anymore. And I don't even have time to go into Damascus uh, about the annihilation of Damascus in Isaiah 17.1, where it becomes a ruinous heap. Has it ever become a ruinous heap? It's the oldest city in the world. And yet during the time of ISIS and other things that were going on there, I mean, it got decimated. It looked nothing like it used to look in its heyday, but it was not a ruinous heap. It looked like it was getting there, but the war around there stopped at that point, and they were able to rebuild everything, and actually everything looks kind of nice now. But there's going to come a time when it's a ruinous heap. There are those who believe that in Psalm 83, because of some things that are happening, Israel actually takes some hits, okay? And because of that, Israel has in place, and I forget what it's called, um, the Ezekiel option or something like that. Thank you, the Samson option, that if, uh, if all of a sudden, you know, it looks like they're going to go down, they're going to take everybody with them. And so it's kind of like, boom, they nuke Damascus. Now, here's the thing that I didn't know about, okay, is the fact that you can release a nuke about a mile over a city, the top, uh, 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 or however, just over the city itself, and it will annihilate the city, but it won't cause any more harm outside of it. When Hiroshima hit, it, it exploded, and, and the reverberation of everything is what, decimated that like 200-mile radius or whatever it was. But they can actually release a nuke above, so it evaporates up this way and it burns everything down, but it doesn't do anything horizontally. It's crazy. You know, you kind of go, wow, but you go, still sick, you know, of, of the destruction that that can do. To where the Samson option, that is it. And it's kind of like, look, if it looks like we're going down, there's nothing that's going to stop us from nuking. Okay, and we will do utter destruction to bring terror to those nations because none of those nations have nuclear weapons. You say, yet, yeah, I'm here to tell you, I don't think Iran will ever get it for that reason because then they'll go right back. So I, don't, I, I think that will happen beforehand. And so again, because of that, that's what's going to stop from anything really major because then they could do it in Beirut, they could do it in Amman, they could do it in all these other places too and then that's going to stop them and say we, you know. So there are those who think that, that that's a possibility that, of what happens with Damascus. But it says you come upon unwalled villages and it's kind of like that's not the way they are today. And the word walled here, I, I looked up that word and it's a word that means open country, town without walls. Open country, that doesn't describe Israel today in any way, shape, manner, or form. 
as you continue to read this, it goes on and it says, um, to take plunder, take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to talk about Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions, how that could possibly be the United States. Um, but it goes on and it says here this, um, that this mighty army coming from the north, in the latter days I'll bring them against my land, in verse 16. Uh, but then it goes on in verse 18 and it says, It will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. And for my jealousy and the fire my wrath have spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Hmm. And it says specifically where that's going to be is the mountains of Israel. That's the northern area where this army is coming down. And it says, So the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creepy things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains. That means that army, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, so that coalition that comes down from the north, all of a sudden they're gonna, there's chaos, and they turn on each other, and they start killing each other, okay? I'll bring him to judgment with pestilence, bloodshed. I will rain down on him and on his troops. And on the many people are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. God is the one that intervenes and supernaturally and divinely goes to all these troops that are coming down against Israel. He's the one that's going to do that. And thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself. I'll be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 6 of, 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 of chapter 39, I will send fire on Magog, that's Russia, and on those who live in security in the coastland. So not only the troops going to Israel does God torch, but he goes back to the homeland itself and goes, and takes care of Russia once and for all. He doesn't do that with Iran. He doesn't do that with Libya and Cush and some of these other names. It seems like as he does that, that kind of stops everybody, you know. It's just, it's, it just is a different war. And then it goes on to say in verse, uh, if we continue down here, it says in verse 7, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of the people Israel. I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming, it shall be done, says the Lord. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. I, I Again, I don't think that that happens in the tribulation, and now they're burning that as they go into the millennial kingdom. And if they're going to do it for seven years, they can't be doing it at the midway point and, and into it after that, because Israel at that point is leaving. They don't have time to go out there and make fires with all these weapons of, uh, of destruction. You know, it's going to take seven years to do that. And so, again, now showing that um, the last uh, slide there again that we showed first. There you go, the timeline. This, this is one of the reasons why I think Ezekiel 38 happens and 39 happens here, because that seven years could happen, you know, uh, three and a half years in, that means three and a half years out. There could be a time gap of three and a half years or more in between the time of the rapture and, and the signing of that peace agreement, you know. It could happen in the church age. Definitely we could see that. And then the rapture happens afterwards and then, and then into this, period here, they, they're, they're burning those weapons. And so by the time the peace agreement is, is done, they're not even burning weapons in the, in the Great Tribulation at all. I don't know exactly where this is going to be. God did not put together for me a timeline. It's really frustrating. But it's also really fun because we understand some things now that we didn't really understand 40 years ago. And, uh, and we're able to put some things in place that we didn't understand 75 years ago. 
So, uh, so again, uh, this, this, these, this is kind of a moving target kind of a deal, but I, I think Psalm 83 might be happening right before our eyes right now. And I would say keep an eye on that. And then again, maybe not. Maybe it's a precursor. And somehow Gaza raises its ugly head once again, you know. Um, but I'll tell you, those, those, those players seem prime right now. They seem prime. And in and, 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 uh, and Psalm 83, I'm sorry, you, you can't convince me that that happened at any other time because those players are still harassing Israel. And it's supposed to be like Midian. It's supposed to be like the king of Jabin, the king of Canaan, that never came back and harassed Israel again after that. So uh, that's why I think it's still future there. So what do you think? Talk to me here. No, Lord, that's great. So what do you think? Yes, leave. What? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to happen right away, does it? Yeah. In Ezekiel 38. Thank you, Danny. I know, it doesn't. But also know it says it's going to take a hook in its mouth. You know, when it comes to Russia, like they don't really want to do it, but something forces them to do it. Right. But yeah. Yeah, I get, I get that. Knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> I, so if they've got... It's loud, dude. No, it's so good. Loud. It's good. Everybody needs to hear it. So it's, if, if they come down, I'm just trying to figure out timeline-wise when you're looking at this overall. Yeah. They would have to... They would have to come out of Ukraine to come down through Georgia, correct? Unless they, uh, they took they, they, Ukraine no, and because all remember the way they're yeah. the Sea of Azov, right? But, well, so, if they if they're in partnership with all those other nations like Kazakhstan right. and all that, they can come over on the other side of the Caspian Sea and down into Syria, Lebanon that way, and come on down into Israel. All right, all right. So yeah, so, and then we still have a split between the Shias and the, and the Shiites. So I'm still well, trying to figure. Yeah, you do, but you, you don't after this takes place. I'm sorry, the inner circle. Once the inner circle takes place, you don't have the issue with that anymore because it's uh, it's Iran that's Shiite, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. The rest are the Sunni nation, the Sunni Muslims yep. right here for, for the, the most mo- part. Yeah. So they're all taken care of. So now there is no Sunni Shiite issue, to be quite honest, after Psalm 83. And and so and so now Iran, I believe the majority of their power was taken away with Hezbollah being destroyed and all that. That's where all their weaponry is gone. So they're not going to be as strong as they were before. But if 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 um, uh, Russia leads the charge and they're one of the nations that come alongside, understand that Russia is the tip of the spear. So they're the ones that's leading this charge. And you have Iran and all these other nations that also still hate Israel but that want to come alongside that. As I say, if, and if Taiwan kicks, then that. Then that would pull us out, right? Yeah, kind of, huh? That's well, a wild China's, card. We, China's we're huge. trying to figure something out there. That that would do it. That would take us out, so we're not going to be able to do anything. That's for sure. Yeah, it's there's all sorts of scenarios that are out there. Go. That's a good point. Hey, maybe it will. I have no idea. You know, but I see the players that are there right now. There's a there's a guy by the name of Bill Salas. Okay who wrote a book called Psalm 83. I've been reading it. There's no way. He gets so in-depth of There's just no way I could do that in a single night, you know. So I uh, took a lot of what he said, and it seemed to make sense to me. Um, he has, uh, if, if you were to Google him, there's a YouTube video where he gave uh, a teaching like this with PowerPoint and all that fun stuff for like an hour and a half at a prophecy conference like about a year ago. Um, and so that is very, very interesting to watch. Okay, very interesting to watch. He wrote a book called Israel Stein, uh, like about 15 years ago. Anybody remember that book at all? It, it, again, it was a precursor to Psalm 83. It's pretty much the same thing, but anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the lawyer speaks. Hold on. Um, Be careful. Well, my question is that I'm very confused, so my credentials Great, is a lawyer. Great, so am I. We're in the same you know. boat. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I apologize in advance that this... Just doesn't have an answer. No. Um, we're talking about in Ezekiel 38 about walls coming down and about how somebody is going out into peaceful villages and taking plunder. And I'm not sure who that's talking about because then in verse 
14, it says God is, you know, talking to Gog. So I, is it saying that in the previous verses that Israel is now being an aggressor and going out into peaceful villages? No, it's Gog that's doing that. So it's Russia that's doing that, going into Israel for plunder and things like that. And there are people who think that even right now that under um, the Dead Sea, there's a lot of what is that element that's used for cell phones and all that kind of stuff? Lithium, thank you. There's an there's a untapped resource under there. So that could be something that maybe Russia wants. It could be that because they take so much land uh, in Psalm 83, there could be some oil fields involved with that. Nope, go ahead. Yeah, I can. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sir, I probably missed it in in the whole uh, uh, story here. What happened to Babylon? Nothing has happened to Babylon yet. So Babylon comes around later in the book of Revelation. Okay. So nothing here. Nothing here. So it seems like a bunch of nations that seem to be world players have been destroyed at this point. So when the Antichrist comes after all this has happened, he's going to bring peace and be able to say, this is how we can get together. Now, this is why the rapture is a very is, is a wild card here when this happens. Okay, Because if it happens before Ezekiel 38, or maybe it happens after Ezekiel 38 and all the Christians are gone, Then the Antichrist can come and just say, see, all these things were happening. Is the world resetting itself through energy? And the UFOs came and took the Christians away. And so now we have a chance. It wasn't the God of the Hebrews or the Bible. It was really this that was going on. And, and, you know, and and now could have a way in. It's going to be interesting, you know, of of how that all gets set up. And I I don't know the the timeline to that, of how that's going to happen. Yes. I see so many um, channels on Telegram where believers actually are um, putting forth that because Israel's leaders are ungodly, abortion is rampant there, you know, everyone got the jab, all of that, that it can't, the prophecy can't be talking about Israel as a nation, but that instead all believers are now Israelites. Can you please speak to that? Yeah, that's... That's um, not believing that that there's a difference between Israel and the church, 